Labyrinths is brought to you by Knox Robinson Productions. Please consider becoming a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can listen to Labyrinths ad-free. Visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson to learn more. Okay, so here's my beef. I am consistently finding from stories that I hear after coming home from prison that my own family, as I was going through the whole prison thing, they were like, of all the people in this family to go to prison, Amanda, who like tucked herself into bed at night and like always played by the rules and never told a lie, like of all the people who never had any trouble, like Amanda went to prison when, you know, my sister could say, I would get into fights with other girls in my school or my dad would be like, you know what I was doing in college. And I'm discovering that the same is true about the man I love. (laughs) (laughs) So this week uh, in Labyrinths, we're going to discuss your crimes. My crimes? Your criminal background, my love. Uh, (laughs) They're minor. I'm mostly a good kid. Feeling lost? Then you're in the right place. We're still working hard on developing season two. But in the meantime, we've got another fascinating bonus episode of Labyrinths. Okay, so what was the first time that you broke the rules? Like, I don't even want to get into breaking the law. Broke the rules? Like parents' rules? Yeah, like you knew you were breaking the rules and you did it anyway. Well, there was that time when I took a Sharpie and wrote, I hate you on my parents' bedroom wall when (sighs) I was about seven. Harsh. That was definitely rule-breaking, and it was mean. Did you know the impact? they painted over it, and and they couldn't make it disappear. It just shows through the paint a decade later. I was wondering if you knew the impact of a Sharpie, because Sharpies are notorious. I didn't know the impact of a Sharpie, nor did I have any way to fathom the impact emotionally that would have on my parents. I don't even remember what I was upset about. It was like they wouldn't (laughs) let me go to the water park or something, you know, (laughs) something stupid and entitled, you know. Right. The first time that I remember having to make like a serious apology was when I found this picture of my younger brother. I was about 12 and he was about eight and a half or so when I found this picture. And in the picture, he was like two and he was naked and he was doing this superhero pose with one arm sort of extended upright and the other stretching out behind him with a leg stretched forward in this kind of like triumphant, I'm here to save the day sort of pose. Oh, and his little ding a ling just kind of sitting there between his legs, totally naked, you know, <laughs> totally oblivious in that photo. In a beautiful toddler like fashion. Yeah. And I just thought it was the funniest thing. And he was very embarrassed by it. Mm. And I was like, logically, I was thinking, well, there's nothing for you to be embarrassed by. You're like a baby here. You know, who cares if you can see your little dingling? But it embarrassed him. Unfortunately for him, he could not reach as high as my arms could hold that picture. So <laughs> cruel. <laughs> I went around to all the neighborhood kids and showed them this photo of Kyle so, and said, look at him. It's so funny. And he was like leaping and jumping and trying to snatch it out of my hands. And I thought it was just the funniest thing. And it made him cry and it crushed him. 
Do you think that any part of you knew that the fact that it would be embarrassing to him was part of what made it funny to you? Probably. And were you unaffected by his pleas for mercy? In the moment, if anything, those pleas for mercy were what fueled me to do it. God, you're just a... My parents gave me a talking to and... You're a monster. ...told me how much I'd hurt my brother. And I remember feeling really bad about it. I drafted an apology letter. Mm -hmm. I wrote it out and delivered him this handwritten note. Mm. It was the first time I had, like, written an apology. Let's see. Oh, one other thing I did to my brother. I had these handcuffs, like kids' handcuffs. Mm -hmm. And so I got up one morning, and I think we still had bunk beds. I got out of bed. He was in the bottom bunk. I handcuffed him to the bunk, did my thing, hopped on the bus, and left. <laughs> and then my parents got up like, come on, Kyle, time to get for, ready for, for school, and <laughs> discovered that he was handcuffed to the bed, and I had the keys. <laughs> So were they able to get him Yeah, I mean, loose? you can do it with a paper clip if you spend five minutes, you know. <laughs> it wasn't the most horrible inconvenience. And he loves you so much yeah, well, to this day. So um, can we talk about your crimes now? Yes. Do you um, remember the first time you broke the law? So the first actual law breaking was probably shoplifting. Damn, you shoplifted? I shoplifted one time. Wow. And I don't remember why I even did it. I think it was an adrenaline thrill thing. I was in the Bon Marche and I saw this suede leather guess wallet and I was about 13 maybe. And it was like $35. And I had some money, but I certainly didn't have $35. And I thought it was cool and I wanted it. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of picked it up and was walking around the store with my mom. She was five feet away from me. And then I just walked out of the store with it. And a little bit later, we went on family vacation. We went to like Washington, D.C. and visit the museums and the monuments. And I couldn't take my wallet out ever because <laughs> I was around my parents the whole time. And they would be like, where in the world did you get that wallet? A thing yeah. that the thief must right? think. <laughs> yeah. About, and maybe they wouldn't even have thought twice. But like I was just terrified that they would be like, where'd you get that wallet? Mm -hmm. We didn't give that to you as a gift. Did you buy that? Did you buy that on your own? And I would be like, oh, uh, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. And so I kept it hidden and then eventually got rid of it because of the anxiety of <laughs> someone, <laughs> you know. And then a, a little bit later, I had some friends who were trying to convince me to shoplift some CDs. Interesting. So the second time you were confronted with this possible feeling. What does it cost you and your soul? If You don't have a soul, but what does it cost you emotionally? So my friend was like, look, it's not hard. Just slip it in your pants, you know. You just take this plastic thing off and get rid of the little metal thing so it doesn't beep. And we went into the store, and I saw my two other friends doing this. Oh and I grabbed a CD. It was like... Pennywise or Guttermouth or some punk band I was into. And I started slowly taking the wrapping off as I was walking around pretending to browse. And then I just chickened out. And I don't think it was a moral thing. I think I was just afraid. Of getting caught. Of getting caught. Mm -hmm. And so I put the CD back. I mean, I went so far as to like take the wrapping off, I think. And, wow. And was about to ensconce it in my hoodie and then didn't. And then we walked out the store and the security guard came up and took all three of us and took us to a back room. 
And he's like, all right, cough it up. And I was clean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they, we were dumb 15, 16 year olds and they saw what we were doing. Right. And my buddies got in trouble, but I was like, I don't have anything. And they're like, don't lie to me. And I'm like, search me, dude. <laughs> and I felt really good about that chickening out. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly chickening out yeah. feels Suddenly so in my mind, good. it was a moral decision I had made <laughs> because of my conscience. And, you know, but even framing it that way after the fact can have a powerful positive totally. effect, you know? Right. Um, that was a humiliating moment for your friends and yeah. a not humiliating moment for you. And so from that day forward, I learned to be a much better criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> what other crimes were you committing? Oh, I did some, you know, minor vandalism stuff. <gasps> you were destroying property? No, I mean, I was like maybe 17 and we were skateboarding, doing a little ollies and kickflips and stuff outside this local elementary school. And it's the summer. No one's there. The school is closed down. Mm -hmm. And it's got all these great little steps and stuff for us to jump around and flip our skateboards on. And this neighbor guy who lives next door to the elementary school came out and started shaking his fist at us and telling us he's going to call the police and chase us off because we're not supposed to be there. Okay, so he's being a grumpy old grouch. Yeah, being a grumpy old grouch. And we're like, fuck you, buddy. So he came back at 2 a.m. that night and, you know, we went to the 24-hour Safeway with like eight packs of eggs. And the, the poor Safeway clerk has to like check us out. Yeah, you know? knowing full well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you have an ID for these yes, eggs? Yes, <laughs> we're, we're just like, we're, just, we're making a big omelet. <laughs> <laughs> On this man's house. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, you know, that was technically a crime. So you should be chiming in if ever it's true, but I'm assuming you never shoplifted. I've never shoplifted. You, did you ever TP or egg someone's house? So the most that I've done in that regard is... I was on a soccer team, and the soccer team was a premier soccer team. It's children's soccer team, but premier. So we were playing all year round. We were very close, really close group. And we were also really close with our coaches. And every year during the summer, we would travel to play in tournaments all around the West Coast. And at a certain point, I remember that the dad of one of the girls in our group was standing on the balcony below me. Basically, it's a hotel that had like all these outdoor hallways. Mm -hmm. And he was standing right below me. And I happened to be like holding some Kool-Aid in my hand that I was drinking. And my friends were like, dump it on him, dump it on him. And I was like, I don't know. And they were like, yeah, do it. It'll be so funny. And so I did. And I dumped my Kool-Aid oh over God. his head. So he like goes, Wah! and like goes back into his room. Only later did I find out that like he had taken the plane there and his luggage had been lost. So he didn't have a change of clothes. So he just had to sort of live in those Kool-Aid clothes. That and might so, be the worst thing you've ever done. It was horrible. I felt so bad afterward. I apologized. I was profusely apologizing because my mom had to explain to me like he did not have a change of clothes. How could you do that? And I, I felt so bad. So shame, shame. We could give you lots of reasons to support Labyrinths on Patreon, including ad-free episodes and exclusive patron-only content. But why not hear it direct from a listener? My name is Henry, and I've been a supporter of the Labyrinths podcast for some time. 
I can totally relate to the concept of feeling lost. And I think the stories have helped me tremendously getting through these last couple of years. And I think they would help others as well. Visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson. It's not as bad as when I, on April Fool's Day one year, unscrewed my parents' shower head and filled the inside of it with Kool-Aid powder (laughs) and then screwed it back on. And my dad got up all groggy and took a shower and stained his bald head blue. (laughs) (laughs) That's an ingenious prank. I would never have the balls to pull that off. So the law-breaking I did in high school, aside from that egging incident, I was an early internet pirate. Mm. Um, I was one of the computer nerd kids who had two modems in my computer. My parents had a second phone line because one was for the fax machine slash the internet, and you'd dial up on AOL and whatever. And the other was so you could still talk on the phone while someone was on the internet. Right. And at nighttime, I would plug both phone lines into my computer to double my bandwidth. Mm. So instead of getting 56K, 56 kilobytes download, I would get a 128, you know, and (laughs) I could download, you know, MP3s all the better, right? Mm -hmm. And I was able to download the new Rage Against the Machine album and the new Eminem album before they came out in stores because they got leaked on the internet. And then I would print out the fake album covers (gasps) on my crappy inkjet printer. They looked so crappy. And then I would sell bootleg CDs. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You are not like, this isn't just like, oh, I'm getting it for myself. You were selling bootleg copies? You shark. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's see. Around that time, I also got a speeding ticket for going 103 miles per hour on the way to the Warped Tour uh, over in the gorge. Traffic, I will give it to you. I've been bad in traffic. I wasn't like an overt speeder, but I definitely read a book while driving multiple times. Yeah. And that's a really big I know. Issue. I did that too a lot. And this is one of our weird points of connection. <laughs> I got into, I rear ended somebody once on I 5 because I was writing a poem. <laughs> <laughs> and I had this, you know, I saw the sunlight crest over a building in a beautiful way. And I, a line popped into my head and I just had to write it down <laughs> for this poem that I was composing in my head. And then I rear ended somebody and, you know, course, I couldn't reveal that to the insurance. <laughs> um, so let's see. Aside from that, there's the time I smoked crack, but that's, was it crack? I don't know. I mean, the fact that you don't know what it was reveals the criminal intent <laughs> behind <Yeah>. it. <laughs> you smoked something. What did you think you were smoking? I cannibalized this into a fictional moment in my first book with Gavin, more of the encyclopedists. There's a scene where One of the characters does this, available uh, wherever you find books. (laughs) Um, And it's basically just ripped straight from reality, which is we tried to buy cocaine from somebody when we were 23 on the street, and we were trying to chop it up into lines to snort it, and it wasn't happening the way we had been able to do so with cocaine before. And it's not like we were cokeheads. I had done cocaine a number of times, but I wasn't like an expert on cocaine. And so I thought, crap, did we accidentally buy crack? These are sort of more crystally rocks than a powder. Right. So I called up my resident drug user friend. <laughs> I'll leave his name out of this. We'll just call him... Mr. Drug Addict. Mr. Drug, <laughs> yeah. And said, did I buy crack? 
And he's like, yeah, man, sounds like maybe you bought crack. And he wasn't there. This was all over the phone. I'm like, well, shit. How do I smoke it? (laughs) (laughs) Not like that. Well, I'm going to. Well, I don't know. It didn't seem all that different from cocaine. It just, well, if I'm willing to do cocaine, I'm willing to do this. And so he's like, well, find a light bulb, use a knife and cut off the metal nub, which doesn't sound like it would work. You think you'd shatter the glass, but it does work. It does. So cut that off and then you put salt inside and you shake it all around and that white coating on the inside of the bulb gets rubbed off by the salt. Hmm. Mr. Drug knew how to do all this. (laughs) (laughs) And then you end up with a clear bulb if you didn't have a clear one before. Hmm. Then you just take a Bic pen, take the ends off until you have a hollow tube. Okay. If you don't have a straw. And then you put the rocks in there, put the bulb underneath it, and kind of slowly rotate as you have the flame on it so it doesn't burn, and then suck up the smoke. You chase the dragon, you know? It's a makeshift crack pipe slash meth pipe or whatever. Oh, God. Yeah. But, you know, drugs should all be legal, so I don't really consider that. The war on drugs is stupid, you know? The war on drugs is stupid. So, like, retroactively, I don't really consider that (laughs) law-breaking. There was that time that I bored into a parking meter to steal all the quarters. What? You did what? (laughs) What? So in my defense. (laughs) uh, What did that parking meter do to you? (laughs) Well, it was already someone had already struck it down. It was on Halloween night. I was living in Boston. We were out drinking on Halloween. It was snowy out. We were stumbling home, me and my roommates. And a drunk driver or someone had ran into this parking meter and knocked it over. Hmm. And I saw it laying on the ground and I was like, ha ha, look at that parking meter. Hey, let's take it, (laughs) you know? And I started dragging it sort of funnily and it was so heavy. I'm sure. Um, I think it was one of those double ones where it comes up and it's got two. Uh And each of them, this is before the card system, each of them was full of quarters. I was dragging this thing very slowly and my friends were like, ah, leave it, you know, and then a taxi came by and I was like, no, 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 get the taxi. And so the taxi stopped and. And you pulled this thing I, into I the lugged camp. I the, the, the barking meter into the backseat of the taxi and the guy's like, no, 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 you can't have that in here. Get that <laughs> yeah. out of here, you know, get out of here. And I'm like, no, man, it's cool. We'll give you 10 bucks. You know, it's just up the road. And it was literally, it was like a three minute drive. Um, I feel so bad for that taxi driver. You just involved him in a crime. I know. If Uber had been around back then, I would have got a bad rating. (laughs) (laughs) So he agreed, drove us the few minutes. We lugged this thing up to our thing. And then I spent the next week trying to figure out how to like crack into this thing. I didn't have any tools. I was a grad student earning my master's degree (laughs) in poetry. (laughs) Breaking into And during the day, I'm like hanging out with, you know, Nobel Prize winning poet Derek Walcott, who's teaching us poetry. And then in the evenings, I'm trying to figure out how to, this, this thing is hard and it's made of metal, you know, <laughs> how do I get in there? I don't have the key. I'm not, I had been reading the MIT Guide to Lock Picking to try and learn how to pick locks, but I wasn't able to pick the lock on this thing. So I went to the hardware store and ponied up for a hacksaw. Wow. And the metal was thick and hard. Yeah. And when I got through the metal a little bit, after like really tiring my muscles out, I realized there's a plastic drum inside the metal hmm. where all the coins live. And I couldn't get that thing out. I thought I could just sort of cut a little hole in the metal right. and, shake, and then just shake, shake it, it out. out. Yeah. But no, I had to also cut a hole in the inner plastic drum. 
And the metal was so hard that to cut all the way through it, all this metal dust was coming up and I was breathing it in. (laughs) It was making me sick. So then I tried getting a coat hanger really hot on the stove, sticking it in through the hole I'd made in the metal and trying to make a hole in the plastic. And that gave me fumes and headaches. And ultimately, with the tools I ended up buying at the hardware store, not counting the value of my own time, (laughs) you know, um, I got something like, 40, 50 bucks out of it in quarters. And I paid like $25 in like tools. <laughs> so it was like a $15 profit after all that work. After all the fumes yeah, and the dust. Yeah, a $15, and... you know, profit theft from the city of Boston. <laughs> and then um, you had a parking meter corpse to deal with. I know. And so I was terrified of getting caught for this parking meter thing. <laughs> and so I got alcohol and I put gloves on and I swabbed the whole thing down to remove any fingerprints. <laughs> <laughs> and I dragged it up to the roof with my roommate and we wiped it clean and then just tossed it into an alleyway where it clunked and then just left it there for someone to find. Wow. So, haha, that story's fictional if anyone is a Boston policeman. <laughs> what a good fictional story. <laughs> And yet, you're the one who went to prison. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm not that bad of a criminal. Those are, I think those are the extent of my, my crimes. You got some crimes below Had your few, belt. I mean, I'm sure many of our listeners have worse crimes. And in fact, if you're listening, you can hit us up on Twitter. <laughs> I'm at Man Under Bridge. I'm at Amanda Knox. And we'd love to hear about your crimes. <laughs> And you know we're not narcs. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I just think it's so funny that it also bothers me when people, you know, like, oh, well, she's innocent, but I don't know, something shifty about her. And it's like, no, you you don't know her. Like, she's not shady or shifty. She's actually the nicest, kindest, most goody two-shoes person you could imagine. And like pretty much everyone I know in my life has done worse things, more mean things, more criminal things, whether it's as a child or teenager or whatever, um, or as an adult, than you have. You are in the tiny, tiny percentile of people I know who are pretty much always nice to people. And that's part of why I love you. No. But I think it's also what made you vulnerable Mm -hmm. when that was going down in Italy because... It just never would have occurred to you that people would have bad intentions right? um, or that they would not believe you or that someone would lie to you. And that if the police told you you're just a witness and you're helping us, you're like, okay. Yep. You know? (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The irony is, is not lost on me. Well, feel free to judge me for the crimes I've done. I admit fault. I admit I wasn't perfect. You've been held accountable for the things you did to your brother, but have you ever been held accountable for crimes? I got away with crimes? it on that. They never, <laughs> they had no prints on that parking meter. <laughs> <laughs> if they ever find that cabbie, it's his word against mine. So. <laughs> well, this has been a bonus episode of Labyrinths. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Find us at knoxrobinson.com. And please subscribe, rate, and review us. 
You don't have to berate them. Subscribe, rate, review, now! Please subscribe, rate, and review. We'd like that. (laughs) Fun fact, for every hour of labyrinths you enjoy, we put in dozens of hours researching, outreaching, interviewing, scripting, editing, and audio engineering. What keeps us going? Coffee. So if you're enjoying Labyrinths, please buy us a coffee. Head over to patreon.com slash Knox Robinson, where you can make a monthly donation. Thanks for getting lost with us.